Being a chef means keeping your cool in the kitchen. And with Resi Priority Notify and Global Dining Access through my Amex Platinum card, right this way, it's nice to try someone else's food for a change. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. This is Jeff T. from the Club 520 Podcast. When it comes to your feet, eBay's got your back. When you see the blue check mark that says authenticity guaranteed, that means real experts are checking your sneakers. Every stitch, down to the sole. They even smell them because nothing says fresh like the scent of real kicks. So kick back and relax. From the drop to your doorstep, eBay doesn't play games with your sneaker game. Ensure your next purchase is the real deal with eBay Authenticity Guaranteed. Visit ebay.com for terms. Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. No! Oh my God! How could he do that? Are you on Donate? What? Charles Darwin. Welcome everybody back into Nerd Sesh. As always, I'm Carson Brabber, and alongside me is Logan Camden. And today, we're going to be taking on the last two divisions in our NFL season preview series. If you missed the previous editions, you can go ahead and check those out. We've done them over the last couple weeks. But today, we are on to the final two, that being the AFC North and the AFC South. And we'll start, Logan, with the AFC North, where... Your team, the Pittsburgh Steelers, are represented in what I think a lot of people expect to be a very strong division. So, as always, I'll throw it over to you first. Who do you have atop the AFC North? So I do have the Pittsburgh Steelers at the top of this division. Um, Look, I I know that a lot of people have a lot of questions about this team going into this season. I'm not going to tell them that – I'm not going to tell people that they're wrong for having concerns – we lost a lot. In free agency, the biggest thing that took a blow was obviously our offensive line. Uh, we lose Marquise Pouncey, David DeCastro, Alejandro Villanueva, Matt Filer. Like, we're going to have a basically completely brand new offensive line to start out. But I think the guys that we brought in are really well equipped, uh, really, really well equipped to take the load this year. Um, we're returning uh, one of the best pass blocking guards from last season in Kevin Dotson. We bring in Kendrick Green, who. Dear God, Mike Tomlin, please start him week one. He's looked exceptional in preseason. He's great at pole blocking. He's super agile. And J.C. Hassenhauer blows. He is one of the worst centers in the NFL. And that is from watching a complete season of him last year. I'm going to be extremely disappointed, Carson, if we trot that man out. He's a complete bum. One of the only Alabama O-linemen in the NFL. It just sucks. Kendrick Green is already miles ahead of this kid. We're going to trot out... uh, Chukwuma uh, Okorafor, who we saw basically uh, in spots at left tackle and right tackle last season. Uh, he has looked, again, great in preseason as well. I expect him to hold down this left side. There's competition between Dan Moore and Zach Banner for that right tackle spot. Dan Moore has looked really great in preseason, but Zach Banner has been, over these last few seasons, he's, the, he's a really huge dude from USC. Just, you know, he looks like, I think they call him the Hulk. He's, Banner's huge. Um, we just have a lot of questions about his health. He's been injured the past few seasons and stuff like that, but uh, we also get Trey Turner, former Pro Bowler, uh, in at guard. Like, there's a lot of change up front, and that is what concerns a lot of people. But how much worse can it get? Our offensive line sucked last year, and it was the reason that we had had that drastic stylistical change in how we play offense. Big Ben taking a snap and throws it within three seconds because we don't have protection. We couldn't establish the running game at all last year. Like, 
you know, people have our people are gonna dump on this new O line because it's completely brand new. But we were bad last year. Like I don't think we can get that much worse. And so that's why I would say people need to have hope about this team. Like we're gonna run a new system with uh, Matt Canada in instead of Randy fucking Finkner. God, I could strangle that man. Um, <laughs> and we're going to reestablish the run with Najee Harris, the best running back prospect I've seen in a few years. Like, Carson, you are an outsider. Obviously, I'm going to be a homer, and I'm going to be all in on this new old line and all the positives of this team. Are you as optimistic of me uh, as me about this offensive line, or are you, are you a little more uh, on the negative side of the fence? Well, I wouldn't say I'm optimistic. Uh, to me, kind of best case scenario is a lateral move. I would say like you lose your best O-lineman, right, in Pouncey. You lose a longtime starter in Villanueva. I think that it's a concerning transition. I don't necessarily think it's going to be a disaster, but are you expecting like improvement? Yes, I am. And I mean, the, the big thing here is Again, the new system with Matt Canada. There was so little dynamism in the offense last season, and a lot of it was due to James Conner not being able to establish the run, but it's we're going to be running a lot more play action, a lot more West Coast stuff. And again, that's predicated on establishing the run, which is just what I hope we can do this season. That's the X factor for this team. If Najee Harris runs for 1,000 yards, for over 1,000 yards, or if we can just be competent, like we had the worst rushing attack in football last season. That is so uncharacteristic for the Steelers. If we can just establish the ground game, it opens up completely new levels to this offense. Like people forget this team won 11 games and we ran 10 different plays. Like if we establish the run, I just think it opens up everything for this offense. Matt Canada has already proven in the preseason that he's a much better play caller than Randy Finkner, that we're going to try new things, that we're going to try a lot of new stuff with Ben. We shouldn't do that. I told you this last year, and I told all of Nerd Sesh fans that, that listened to me about Steelers stuff last season, we can't handcuff Ben. We have got to try to, even though he's limited mobi uh, uh, mobility-wise, we still got to try to run that play-action West Coast stuff. And I just think if we establish the run, none of that matters. It's all going to fall into place, in my opinion. So I do think the offense is going to be better. Mm. I don't think specifically the offensive line is going to be better, but I think the massive introduction into this offense is Najee Harris. And I think that we're both generally don't invest a ton in running back guys, don't spend a first rounder on a running back, generally speaking. But although you know maybe this wasn't the best possible pick, I think it's certainly a justifiable one given the glaring hole that there was at the running back position last year. And I think that in Najee, you have a guy who is obviously an overpowering athlete at like 6'2", 230, whatever he is. The guy is just a freak. He's pretty fast given that size. And he's also going to be a threat in the receiving game. And I think you've seen that already, him just being that safety valve in preseason. And so that's all massive to me in helping open up this offense. And I do think, as you said, the Matt Canada upgrade from Randy Finkner, hopefully we see a more unleashed, opened up downfield offense. And I think another interesting dynamic in that is what level of play we get from the receivers. Because I think it's clearly a talented trio at the top with Deontay Johnson and Chase Claypool and Juju. I do wonder if someone establishes themselves as a clear number one. Do you think that that's something that actually matters? Do you think that there's a guy who stands out in that respect? I don't necessarily think it matters just because Ben is already so good at spreading the ball and not force-feeding anyone. You know, he's always trying to read the field and find the open guy. If I had to pick one, it's definitely between Juju and Chase, and that's the thing. Juju last season, Randy. another issue with Randy Fainter last year was he only used Juju Smith-Schuster in the slot. Like, that was hammered home. 
Juju's, that's not Juju's game. He's a well-rounded receiver. We need to use him out wide. We need to use him all across the line. We need pre-snap motion. Um, my pick would either, my pick would probably be Chase Claypool, to be honest. Like, I think we air the ball out a lot more. I think we try to go downfield. I think we try to just establish the deep ball. And I think Chase Claypool is the most talented receiver on this roster. And we've seen Ben, when you give him a physical freak like Plax, like Martavis Bryant, like, like a Chase Claypool, he's going to utilize him and use him well. And I think, again, like you said, with Matt Canada in, I think we try to force the ball downfield a little more. And I think he does establish himself. But, you know, I, I don't really think it matters. This is by committee. I expect all of them to probably be up near 800 to 1,000 yards. I expect really big things from this trio. I think that's interesting because I agree that they don't necessarily need a clear number one guy. I think that they do somewhat different things. You know, Deontay and Juju have some similarities, but I do agree that Claypool's the guy with the tools to pop, if anybody, because last year we saw Deontay and Juju just get force-fed those short targets. I mean, Deontay probably had 50 screens thrown to him. Juju averaged 8.6 yards per reception. Like, that's just unthinkable to have 97 catches and barely eclipse 800 yards. And Claypool, I think, is clearly, as you said, the most dynamic athlete, the downfield guy. So if this offense is going to open up more and have been throw downfield more, which we very rarely saw last year, he probably is the guy to pop there. That's the thing, though. I think that, and I know we've already discussed a little bit of Najee, I think that if there's going to be a an opening up of this offense, it doesn't really lie in those three guys. Like They're going to be consistent, and Ben is going to get them their touches. I think the two guys that really open this offense and open up just a completely different aspect of this team is Pat Fryermuth and Najee Harris. Najee, as you already mentioned, with the just check down, just safety valve stuff, because you remember with Le'Veon Bell, Ben was so good at at buying time and just dumping it off. And Najee is so good at relocating mid-play and getting to that open space and helping Ben. So that's one thing that we just didn't have because James Conner would drop easy balls. Benny Snell would drop easy balls. Jalen Samuels would drop easy balls. Najee's not like that. Najee is sure-handed. He's done this for a long time. So I think safety-wise and just like little dump-off passes at the end of big plays, I think Najee does that. But Fryermuth, Eric Ebron's good. Eric Ebron's a really good run zone target. He's just, I don't know, man. He's not what we need. Pat Fryermuth is so much more of that Heath Miller mold. And those two TDs that we saw against the Lions, I don't know, man. Him and Ben look like they have an instant connection. They have been raving about Pat's uh, performance in training camp. Pat's the guy that I really look to open up. And again, statistically, I don't think Pat Fryermuth has a big season. But I think you were going to see in-game just little flat routes that we couldn't throw, little outs, like little third down plays. He's got great hands, and I just think that it's, there are two guys that we have just not had. After Heath Miller's departure and after Le'Veon Bell's departure, we have not had two good receiving targets at those two positions. So I'd say those guys open up a completely different dynamic for this offense, even more than the wideouts do. So what's the offensive ceiling for this group, in your opinion? Top 10. I think we have a borderline top 10 offense. I don't think that's completely unreasonable. It's tough, though, because... We can all obviously look back on last season and think, oh, how much better the Steelers could have been and should have been. Mm-hmm. But we also saw for a lot of the year, Ben's role simplified and him thrive in that. And statistically, obviously, if you're just looking at like touchdown interception ratio and you know how successful they were in the win-loss column, mm-hmm. it was a pretty prosperous year for Ben and the Steelers. Obviously, we saw a lot of those flaws exposed and we saw things take a turn for the worse towards the end of the year. So... I don't know how much I trust Ben to you know, be a big-time playmaker reliably and not make mistakes at this point. I think no. that... No. 
You shouldn't trust Ben yeah. to not mess up. Ben is going to throw a ton of picks if that weight is on his shoulders. And that is, again, why I say if the Steelers establish the run, you can wipe all of those concerns away. And I agree. I don't know about all of those okay. concerns. No, Ben's going to throw his fair share of picks. It's what Ben Roethlisberger does. I do think, though, that the run game can take massive growth from being literally the worst in football to where you have to throw you know, a short pass on every third and two just because you're not going to put the ball in a running back's hands. That will not be the case this year. I think Najee could be the most talented offensive player on this team. So that's why I actually do expect the offense to take a step forward. I think clearly the defense is the defining aspect of this team, as it was last year for at least 12 weeks. It looked like probably the best defense in football, just ferocious pass rush. And you do have some personnel changes there. You place Bud Dupree with Melvin Ingram. I think that's probably a slight downgrade just based on the production we've seen from Ingram recently. Yeah, Joe Schobert, you lose a little something at corner with Mike Hilton and Steven Nelson both going away. So do you think the defense is as good as last year? Like, what are you expecting from them? I don't think we can be as good as last year. And I think that the two points that, that you touched on with the cornerback committee is where we're going to struggle. Mike Hilton and Steven Nelson were shut down. Like, I think we had a borderline top three secondary in the NFL last season because not just because of Minka, not just because of Joe Hayden, but because of those two guys. They were instrumental. So slot corner is definitely a position of concern. I mean, I've heard good things out of preseason about James Pierre. He seems like he's going to be our slot corner moving forward, and they're going to put Cam Sutton outside. Um, but no, that's definitely a big concern. Those losses, you can't just sweep under the rug. But uh, you talk about maybe a potential concern with the pass rush. I don't think that drops off at all. Hayward and Tewitt are going to consistently get pressure up front. Watt is going to be a menace, the best defensive player in football, I think, once more. God, I hope he doesn't get robbed this year. If he puts up numbers like he did last year, he deserves depoy. Um, the other side, though, is definitely a concern. I do think it's a slight downgrade. But I don't even think Melvin Ingram's the guy that steps up. I think Alex Highsmith is going to be the guy that starts on that side. And I think Ingram is just going to be simply a, a rotational guy that fills in when we need him as a run stopper, as a pass rusher. Don't get me wrong. He's going to get PT. He's going to get snaps. I just think that Highsmith probably gets the starting nod in most games. The Schobert edition is a game changer, though, Carson. I have told you this, and if you've heard me talk Steelers football, I, even, I mentioned in my video, the Achilles heel for this team has been linebacker depth for the past I don't know, man, five seasons. Every year, it seems like we have a linebacker that goes down from Shazier, from Bush, Spillane, Dupree. Somebody goes down, and it catastrophically ruins our season. That's not the case this year. Um, Schobert is going to be here. Devin Bush, we bring in. We bring back Robert Spillane, who I'm happy with starting. It's just, if either of these guys go down, we have we have heads to fill in, and that's the that's the game gen year. We have finally depth in that uh, respect. Um, what do you think, though? Like, do you think... Do you see? Do we see significant regression out of the defense? Do we drop from top five? Do we drop out of the top ten? What do you expect out of the defense this season? Well, let me be clear. When I talk about Ingram being a slight downgrade potentially from mm -hmm. Bud Dupree, I don't think that has a significant impact on the defense as a whole. I also think with the kind of pass rushers around Ingram who are going to demand the kind of attention that so many guys on that Steelers front do. It may be that he has a more successful campaign. Again, he's a very talented guy. That's not really significant to me. I think that this is an outstanding pass rush. I don't think you could say anything else, but I don't know if you can ask any group to be quite as good as they were last year, like 56 sacks, 35% pressure rate when second best in all of football was 28. Like, that was all-time stuff from them, which is part of why it's so painful that the offense wasn't able yep. to hold up their end of the bargain. And while I think the offense will have taken a step, and I think the pass rush will still be great, 
I do have concerns about the secondary and you know how they can really compensate for those losses. I still think this is a, probably a top five defense, a borderline top five defense at the very least because that front seven, especially with the introduction of Schobert, is absolutely outstanding. And I want to say, too, a guy that we haven't brought up in the secondary, our losses are definitely imperative. Again, I cannot stress how important Mike Hilton and, uh, and Steven Nelson were to this recipe. The guy sticking out on this defense, and I've told Mike Tomlin this. I know he doesn't listen to the pod, but, you know, <laughs> if you did, Mike, listen up. Terrell Edmonds might cost us a Super Bowl one day, and it could very well be this season. Terrell Edmonds is not a good coverage safety. And I don't know why he drafts these guys. I don't know why he... Like, I like Terrell. He's a good kid. He's a Virginia boy. He went to Tech. I love the man. He's a good tackler. Put him at sub-linebacker. He's not a coverage guy. Like, Edmonds get, gets burnt so many times a game. That's another concern. Like, it's not even just depth. Like, our secondary has been the uh, another problem. It's the reason that stopped us on those Bell Brown teams from winning a Super Bowl. Because Tom Brady could just toss it up to lacrosse player Chris Hogan and burn us. We, there are major concerns in the secondary. And if there's going to be a group that lets us down, it's definitely on the offensive side, it's the O-line. On the defensive side, it's the secondary. I think I'm probably more concerned, though, about the, about the secondary. So uh, it's interesting to me that you have them winning this division just because it's such a strong group. I actually think the Steelers will be a better team than last year. And maybe... That is overly reactive to what they did down the stretch because of how ugly things finished. I have them going 10-7. and seven. I see a screen peeking over there. What, does that alarm you? I'll tell you why in a second. I know you don't have us third in this division, Carson. Well, I actually may or may not. The reason is very, very simple, Logan. Their average opponent from last year, this is their strength of schedule this year, won 9.2 games. It's the toughest in football, average winning percentage of over 57. You have four brutal in-division games against the Browns and the Ravens. Then you go at the Bills, at the Packers, at the Chiefs, maybe the three best teams in football. I think a lot of people would tell you that. You have the Seahawks, you go at the Chargers, Titans, Bears. I don't see how you're getting out of that with less than five or six losses. I have us going 12-5. and five. I mean, I feel like we steal a couple of those games. I booked us, uh, I, in my schedule preview, I have us losing to the Chargers. I have us losing to the Raiders. Um, I have us beating the Bills week one. Um, come on, bro. I'm not going to... I can't pick against them. That's your squad. I'm not going to book that. All right. So, <laughs> here's the thing. You're playing, again, maybe the three best teams in football on the road. I don't think you're stealing any of those games. I also call me crazy. I was beating the Chiefs, too. This is atrocious. This is an abomination. Why are you losing to the Raiders and beating the Chiefs? Dude, we lose to the Raiders every year, bro. That team that team scares me like the Ravens do. We're probably going to lose that game. I'm going to keep it a buck. Yeah, you're right. The schedule blows. we got a lot of questions. I'm a lunatic. The Steelers are winning the Super Bowl, baby. I am going to pick them to win the Super Bowl. I'm not going to lie to you. I am probably am. I'm, I'm, I'm going to do it. I do it every I do it every year. This is not a joke. I'm probably gonna pick the Steelers to win the Super Bowl. Yes, laugh at me, bro. I got him. Logan. <laughs> what the hell? Look, the Steelers are gonna be really good. Again, I think they're gonna be a, a more well rounded, probably better team than last year. And last year they started eleven and zero. 
But they did that with, what, the easiest schedule of any team in the last three years, and now they have the toughest schedule in all of football. Like, you can improve as a team and not win as many games, and I think that's what we're going to see this year from the Steelers. I think all you haters are going to eat your words, right? I think the Steelers are winning this division. We're not going to get a bye because obviously the Chiefs are going to add that or the, or the Bills. And we're going to handle business in the playoffs. You better hop on the wagon now, Carson. No. All right, let's talk about whoever you have next. I'm going to assume you have the Ravens second in this division. That would be correct. Um, so I uh, officially I have the Steelers winning 12 games. I also have the Ravens winning 12 games. Talk about Baltimore a little bit. What are you expecting from them? I expect the I expect the Ravens to be dominant once more. I mean, if there's a team that is going to dethrone us at the top of the AFC North, which, uh, as you predicted, yeah, it's going to be Baltimore. Um, they did lose a little bit on the offensive line, as they did. They lost uh, from their pass rush. They lost uh, Ngakwe. They lose Judon. They lose Orlando Brown, and they lose Matt Skura. In my opinion. They did a tremendous job at replacing basically every position of value that they lost. Uh, they lose a wideout in Willie Sneed, and they bring in Sammy Watkins. They bring in Rashad Bateman on the O-line front. You bring in Zeitler, Villanueva, uh, and Schofield for depth. And on the pass rush, you bring in Justin Houston. You bring back Calais Campbell, Brandon Williams, Derek Wolf. Like, the Ravens are going to be dominant again. And there's just – they do it every year. It's just such a – it's so simple what they do, but it works. The rushing attack, like Lamar Jackson can get all the hate in the world he wants, maybe not the best passing quarterback in the NFL. It doesn't matter. It works. The Ravens have had the best rushing attack in football every year that Lamar has been under center, and I expect that to be the exact same case once more. It doesn't matter what happens in the playoffs. They're a dominant regular season team, and that is not going to change. They didn't lose a lot. They replaced all of the positions they did lose with really talented players that are going to fill in. I just expect big things from the Ravens, and honestly, man, they're they're a Super Bowl threat. Like I, I if I I wouldn't have any issue with picking the Ravens at the Super Bowl as well. They they certainly scare the hell out of me. I think they're clearly the third best team in the AFC. I have them winning twelve games, in spite of the fact that they have the second toughest strength of schedule in football. And I just think you said it. I mean, consistent regular season dominance has been the name of the game for them over these last two years. They've been outstanding both offensively and defensively. You know that they're going to have probably the best rushing attack in all of football. You know that Lamar is going to be able to thrive largely as a part of that, but then also feeding off of the attention that he demands on the ground and this entire team demands on the ground to where now you have simple play action stuff. You have people wide open over the middle of the field, like the way that he's able to put up the outstandingly efficient passing numbers that he does without making you know as many, whoa, look at that throw as a lot of other guys out there. I think that their weapons are improved. As you mentioned, bringing in Bateman, bringing in Sammy Watkins to replace Willie Sneed. I think that Sammy Watkins, if he is a, if he's healthy, maybe I sound crazy here, but I think he's one of the best third options in football if that's what he is. And I think that there is a reasonable argument that he is the most talented receiving weapon in this room here because Mark Andrews is obviously exceptional. Hollywood Brown is great as a deep threat, but down to down, man, when Sammy is healthy, there's not many things he can't do. He can get right behind a defense. He can be that contested catch maker. He can get open within 10, 15 yards. The guy is special when he's healthy. So I'm interested in seeing if he actually can assert himself as the guy in this room. I don't expect it. Unfortunately, I don't think that you're going to see Sammy Watkins for more than 10 games this year, but he does add another interesting dimension to this offense. I think that's the beauty of the Baltimore Ravens system in general, just because of the short passing attack. It gets everybody involved. And I think Sammy's perfectly like 
I think he's a perfect fit here. I, Bateman and Brown are going to be your deep threats. Like if Again, the health has always been the thing with Sammy. If Sammy stays healthy, he's perfect for slants, for drags, for... Damn, the Ravens are talented, dude. They're, they're stacked. Yeah. They are just... They're stacked. I, I'm just in disbelief, dude. It's such a talented roster. Like, you can look at these three guys and, you know, you talk about the, uh, you know, maybe not having that number one, that dynamic go-to guy. Whatever, bruh. You give me three receivers the caliber of, of Brown, Bateman, and Watkins, and then a consistent receiver and Mark Andrews, I just, I don't see any potential drop-off in the Ravens. I'm probably closer to booking them for 13 to 14 wins, even with his difficulty of schedule, than I am to 10. I would generally agree, and I do think that the schedule is important there because they'd have to win a lot of tough games to get to 13-14, but there's a very strong case they have the most talented roster in football, and most of the time, if you're looking at teams like that and you don't have them winning the Super Bowl, it's because of some deficiency at the quarterback position, and they have a borderline top-five quarterback in football. So, like, despite the playoff struggles and, you know, we've seen their formula exposed there a couple times over and we've seen Lamar struggle and you can question what can they do through the air in those big time situations. That's just a different conversation. Regular season, you know they're, they're going to excel. And defensively, we know what they're bringing with a stingy secondary. We know they're going to blitz every other play and they're going to get a lot of pressure. And you do have production to replace, no doubt, with Judon and Ngakwe out the door, but you bring in Justin Houston, who I think is really every bit the equal of either one of those guys, and I just think as a collective unit, that's another part of it. The Ravens have never been defined by one great pass rusher. It's when they're bringing six guys downhill at you, you can't block all of them. And I mean, the value that they got their good pass rushers back with, like, I don't think people understand, like, Pernell McPhee and Tyus Bowser are tremendous pass rushers. They bring them back on cheap one-year deals, like... It's an absolute steal. And again, you add that to Calais Campbell and Derek Wolf, two monsters up front. No, it, it's not going to matter. This pass rush is going to be as dominant as it always is. And then depth-wise, you have Odafi Way, their first-round pick they got in return for Orlando Brown. I think he's high impact from day one. The Ravens never miss with their linebackers. You see what Patrick Queen has turned into. I think he could step up to Pro Bowl, All-Pro status. He's that good. I, I mean, if like I don't really have any... Like, is there any, like, sore, like, like, do you think there's any position of concern at all down this roster? Not one. You know, you have change in the O-line, but you're adding established, talented guys there. No, I don't know where this team could miss the playoffs. Like, it would have to be the schedule. It would have to be some of those 50-50 games go wrong or a couple that you think they're going to take. They just slip up in against a legitimate team, but... It's very tough for me to see that happening because, again, it doesn't matter if they don't throw for 5,000 yards, 4,500 yards. They just don't need to. And, like, it is a tough schedule. There's no doubt about that because they also have, as we said for the Steelers, four brutal games in division, and then you have the Chiefs, you have the Colts, you have the Chargers, you go at the Dolphins, at the Bears, you have the Packers as well, you have the Rams, like... You know, maybe they could lose six games just because of that, but I don't think that you can possibly say that they're not going to be a top seven team in the AFC because, like, what is the question mark? What are we asking them to do that they haven't done already at a very high level? I don't think there is anything. So I think the Ravens are an exceptional team. Again, I think that they are a top three team in the AFC and could be a top three team in football. I'm a huge Rams guy personally, but I think that the Ravens are knocking on the door there at the very least. So... I have the Ravens first in the division, and I may 
or may not have the Steelers second. I may have them third. We'll learn in a moment. Who do you have third in this division? Please don't do this. Please don't. I got the Browns third in the division, um, 11 and 6. Carson, where do you got the Browns? I have the Browns second in this division, 11 and 6. I think they're going to make you look foolish, and here's why. We have them winning the same amount of games. No, no, no. I have them winning 11 games. But please, allow me to continue. I think if there's any team that you can expect in the NFL to have major regression this year, it would probably be the Cleveland Browns, and I'll give you some reasons why. I do have them win 11, winning 11 games. This offense is dominant, and I don't expect this offense to change. I expect them to put up points and to win games that way, and that's why I have them winning 11 games. But there are major concerns with this defense, and I, Carson, there's a world in which I can see the Browns very easily going 7-10 and 10 this season, and a lot of Cleveland fans being disappointed, and it all lies with the defense. Uh, last season... They were so dominant at forcing turnovers, and that is a clear sign of you know why a defense may regress. They were fourth in the NFL, and there's a lot of other factors at play here on this defense that you know I think made them seem a lot more dominant. Twentieth or twenty-fifth and third-down defense, twentieth in yards per play. They had the twenty-first scoring defense, and this season they're only returning two defensive starters: Jadavian Clowney and Denzel Ward. Basically, the rest of the cast is brand new, and so there's where my concerns are. Like. There's going to be chemistry issues potentially with all these new defensive starters in uh, in Cleveland, and it's like it's not like they didn't add talented defenders. Like I think Jadavian Clowney gets a bad rap. He's a he's a much better pass rusher than his sack totals uh, confirm, but he's not dominant. Like I, there's just there's so many new defensive players here. Like I like John Johnson third. I like Troy Hill. I just don't see them being a dominant defense and. I don't know, man. Like, I can see them again. If this pass rush doesn't get home outside of Miles Garrett, maybe this team is 20th to 25th in defense overall, and that can definitely handcuff and hold the team back. That being said, I expect this offense to put up points. That's why I have them winning 11 games. Do you have less concerns with the defense? So this is interesting. First off to the people at home, when you said they have two returning starters, I believe you meant Miles Garrett. You said Jadavion Clowney. He's obviously— oh, what am I talking about? Yeah, they actually lost Miles Garrett in, a, a, fortunately, a tragic, fishing, a tragic fishing accident. So here's the thing. I actually thought when you were going to talk about expecting regression, you were going to focus on the fact that the Browns were just not nearly as good as their record last year because I think that that was plainly obvious. Like, 11-5 and five was absurdly deceptive from them. They had a negative point differential. They didn't beat a 500 team until Week 13. They lost to the Jets. They were barely beating the Bengals. Like, they eked out a bunch of miraculous wins you mentioned the turnovers all that it was just like this team clearly is not as good as their record I just think they are a significantly more talented team and I frankly am not concerned about the defense I think they should be better defensively I think that Clowney is a legitimate addition now you are replacing Olivier Vernon who's going to be out probably for the season coming off of an Achilles tear maybe he's able to come back very late but he's he's a free agent right now because his contract was up but I do think that Clowney may have three sacks in two years, which, yeah, you know, your job is to bring down the quarterback in large part at that position. But he also has 19 quarterback hits in that stretch in 21 games. Like, he's clearly a high-level pass rusher. We've seen it consistently. He applies pressure. It just doesn't always result in a sack. And by the way, if Vernon were able to get healthy by the end of the year and the Browns could say, hey, just come here, try to help us make a Super Bowl run for a few weeks. I don't know. That would be a terrifying duo. But 
Yeah, John Johnson, I think is a very legitimate starter in the draft. Yeah, Greg Newsom and JOK. I think that that's really good value for your first couple picks. I think those are starter caliber guys immediately. And then I think that you can look at the the front defensively and say you lose Sheldon Richardson, you replace him with Malik Jackson. Okay, that's probably totally fine. You do lose Larry Ogunjobi as well, though. So you have things to replace there. But their defense wasn't good last year. And so I don't think that that's really where I would look at and say I expect regression. And offensively, I think that they can reasonably improve because you talk about how dynamic the offense was sometimes, but I think it should be much more consistent this year when you have a full season of Nick Chubb, Kareem Hunt, Baker Mayfield, OBJ, who obviously only played like five games last year, Jarvis, Austin Hooper. Like, I just don't feel like we saw their offense fully unleashed last year until the second half of the season, really. And even still, we didn't see their most dynamic receiving weapon, clearly their most dynamic receiving weapon in that mix. So I think this is a special team offensively. I think that Baker has really eradicated questions about, you know, is he at least a solid starting quarterback? And I think that when you have, in my opinion, the best running back tandem in football, clearly that's what they were last year, and you have really good receiving weapons, he just doesn't have to do all that much. He kind of has to just guide the ship and not mess it up. And I think that he did that well enough for the most part last year. And when he didn't, and when he did turn the ball over, they suffered as a team. But I just think we'll see a more consistent offense overall. We'll see a better offense. I think we'll actually see a better defense. And I think this is a much better Browns team all around than the squad that won 11 games last year. I, as I said, I'm still going to be skeptical about this defense. I, it's interesting to me, though, that you say that you think this offense can be better. And maybe you're right. I hadn't really considered the injuries that they had last season in considering why they could be a better offense this year. I just, I don't know, man. It seemed like they hit a, I don't know, it seemed like they peaked last year. Like, that's the best, it is the best Brown squad that I've seen in a long time. It's just, I don't know how you can conceivably get better. I'm not saying that Baker Mayfield, like, puts a cap on the offense, but I just, I don't know how they can be more dynamic. Like, this this offensive attack runs through Chubb and Hunt. When they are dominating on the ground, everything else is opened up. So I don't know. Like, unless unless OBJ comes back and adds a complete different dynamic to this offense, I don't know how they could really get better. Like, what do you think? Do they try to go downfield more? Do they put the ball in the hands of Baker Mayfield more? Like, what? how do they get better, I guess, is what I'm asking. I just disagree with you completely that they can't reasonably improve because of what I touched on, the inconsistency. Like last year, they had their explosions. And when the run game was dominant and that opened up the play action, they could just roll over teams. And like they scored 49 against the Cowboys. They scored 41 against the Titans. They scored 42 even in a loss to the Ravens. But they also had a six-point game. They had a seven-point game. They had another six-point game. They were held to 10 on another occasion. And like... I just don't think you see that often from really good offenses, and I think we can both agree this is a really talented, dynamic offense. So to me, you establish that run consistently. You don't have really any ugly Baker games because I think you know there weren't as many last year, but in that Steelers game, he really struggled, and there were a couple games where he just turned the ball over a couple too many times. So I just think there's less pressure on him even than there was last year when they already significantly reduced the pressure. And yeah, you're healthier. And you're incredibly talented at every skill position. You have a good foundation up front. So I think that the expectation should be that they do improve. Like we can talk about, they were a great offense last year. They were 14th in points per game. Like because of the inconsistency. I don't expect that kind of inconsistency to plague them again this year. And because of that, I expect growth.
I respect that. I mean, it's not a bad take. I, I just... I'm a little bit confused by why it feels like we're on polar opposite sides with the Browns here when we have them winning the exact same amount of games. Again, I have them winning 11 games. How, though? They're just my... It's just like... the I have my least confidence out of any team that I have projected record-wise in the Browns. What I don't understand is, Logan, if... We can agree they won like the flukiest 11 games ever last year, right? Super easy schedule, barely winning games against terrible teams, all these things. They would say, okay, they shouldn't replicate the success. I believe that they actually have an improved roster, that they have room for growth on both ends. That's why I have them replicating that success, even though I think it was a fluke last year. You seem to disagree with me on all that, and you still have them winning 11 games again. I don't understand that. I think the offense is going to be really good. But you don't think it's going to be better. And no. it was an average offense scoring-wise last year. No, they weren't. They literally ranked 14th in points. Yes, game. that's for the entire season. The end of the year, dude. That was, I said they had a Super Bowl offense at the end of last year. Yeah, I agree. Okay, so you're taking that standard and saying, like, you're... I, that's why I'm saying, is at the, end of, at the end of last season, I think they had a Super Bowl offense. I just don't get how you can improve off that. Like, they were top-notch. That's not what I'm saying, though. I'm not saying they're going to be better than they were on their best days. But even towards the end of the year... They got held to, what was it, 16 against the Jets, 20 against the Giants. Like It's not like they were going out every single week and just shredding teams. So if you're going to say, okay, they can't be better than their best six to eight weeks, I would agree with you. What I'm saying is I think we see more weeks where they're at that level, and I don't think that's an unreasonable thing to say. All right. Can you tell me why you have them winning 11 games? I feel like you want to pick them to win like eight. I kind of do, TBH. <laughs> okay. Like if I like, it's just kind of how the I ended up picking the Browns to just win a lot, a lot of games with other teams. I wish I just picked them to lose. Yeah. So honestly, if I'm going back and if I had to redo my predictions, I'd probably have them winning eight or nine games. Well, you can still do that. So you know, I'll just flip it on the fly. I'll pick another three wins somewhere through the schedule. Maybe I'll toss one. I'll toss one out to Cincinnati. So yeah, I'll go there. Oh, they win. They go eight and nine, miss the playoffs. Okay, I don't think that's completely insane. I'm gonna disagree. I think some people might get unreasonably high on the Browns because you look at eleven and five and think they got better. And again, it was not a legitimate eleven and five in many ways. But I do happen to believe that they're better, and they have a tough schedule. Not tough on the level of the Steelers or the Ravens, though, which I think is nice. You have to match up within your own division. You have a tough draw with the NFC North and all that. Kind of a tough draw. Not the toughest draw. But yeah, I just think they're a good all-around football team. I think that the X factors are going to be the overall defensive ceiling. Because I think that if they're an average defense, 11 games is very reasonable to expect. And specifically that defensive line, replacing three starters there. You know, you can't just dismiss that. And then maybe you could say, Baker, what can he do? Maybe you can say, does Odell really matter? Is he healthy? Those are fair questions. Maybe I should have the Browns winning 10 games, but I'm going to be an optimist. I believe in the offense. I like betting on dynamic offenses. And if I think that they can be better defensively, which I do, I'm going to ride with them. I know we did another taco bet on my football team. One, I'll do a taco bet right here. The Steelers are going to have a better record than the Browns, and we're going to win out. I'm not going to say we're going to beat the Ravens. We're going to finish ahead of the Browns in the AFC North. Bet. Nice. Um, you know, move on to Cincy. I have got the uh, I've got the Cincinnati Bengals going five and twelve, and I want to touch on the big thing, the biggest storyline from Bengals offseason. It was obviously them choosing to go with Jamar Chase over, uh, you know, established tackle like Penny Sewell. But what we've seen out of Sewell in Detroit, 
Maybe wasn't the worst pick not going with him. Sewell's really struggled out there um, in preseason. Greg Rousseau showed that man who was boss. <laughs> I wanted to curse and say FNA right, but you're exactly <laughs> right, bro. He did. Um, I want to say, though, I don't think it was the worst decision, decision to go with Jamar Chase for a few reasons. The biggest one being that, one, obviously already the established connection between him and Joe Burrow. I expect that instant chemistry from day one whenever Joe Burrow gets fully healthy. I just think they killed the rest of the draft offensive line-wise. I like Jackson Carmen. He's a Cincinnati boy. He played left tackle at Clemson. It's going to be hard for him to make that transition to guard inside. But then I think, to get Deontay Smith in the sixth round, Carson, I had that guy as like a second or third rounder. The only reason that he slipped to the, or excuse me, I said sixth. He slipped to the fourth round. Only reason he slipped this far was because in 2020, uh, he had a season-ending injury uh, in the season opener for Eastern Carolina. I think this kid's a dog. I think he's going to anchor whatever side they put him on, on the right or the left. They get Trey Hill out of Georgia late in this draft. I just think they killed uh, the offensive line late in here. I think their interior offensive line is set for the future. Maybe it's not dominant out of the gate. And again, that's going to be the one concern for this season. Can Joe Burrow stay alive? You know, does Joe Burrow just die out there? And that's a major concern. He tears his ACL and MCL in Week 11 against the Washington football team, one of the best pass rushes in football. That's your big concern. Can Joe Burrow just stay upright and not die? I thought they did a really good job addressing the interior of this offensive line for the future. And they bring in Riley Reef to anchor that right side. He's good enough to where he's not going to um, – it's not going to hurt him too much. So I think the X factor on this O-line uh, immediately, and I like Trey Hopkins and Michael Jordan out of the gate. They were solid last year. Jonah Williams, it's going to be on his back, man. He has got to make sure that Joe is not getting blindsided and dies out there. Um, I think offensive line is the X factor of this team moving forward, obviously after last season. Uh, do you agree with me, and are any of those guys, do you think, break out and are staples of this offensive line moving forward? I guess I'll just put it in terms of what to expect right now. Obviously, Riley Reef is going to start. Do you think that either of the rookies are going to start? Probably not out of the gate. Like, Jordan just has more experience. Hopkins just has more experience. I think for the future, these guys could be anchors of this offensive line. But out of the gate, I think we probably see a lot of the same from last season. So that's kind of the thing for me, is uh, you added Riley Reef, so that's great. You added one starting O-lineman to the group that basically let Joe Burrow die every single game out there last year and get sacked 32 times in 10 games and have a season-ending injury. And so they improved, sure. That's kind of my thing with the Bengals across the board this year is they've approved a, they've improved a little bit in a lot of ways. And maybe they've improved more than their record can actually reflect because they have that brutal AFC North schedule. I think that you can look elsewhere on this offense and say, okay, you have a full year of healthy Joe Mixon, so you expect to be better on the ground. I suppose that's true, but Joe Mixon is also kind of just a guy who's gotten a lot of volume touches and also you know, can do a little bit as a receiver, but he's averaged 4.1 yards per carry in his career. I don't know if he's changing what's possible for you efficiency-wise on the ground. You have a full year of healthy Joe Burrow. I don't know what we're going to see from exactly. Joe Burrow. Also, maybe that's a little bit presumptuous to say you will get a full year of healthy Joe Burrow. I think that he clearly has tools. He was in a miserable situation last year. The guy was panicked every time out. I do think that he can be a dynamic playmaker. But at the end of the day, they were 2-7-1 and one when he started last year. So you can't look at that alone and say, okay, that's what's going to bring them to the promised land. You mentioned the Jamar Chase edition. I like it. I mean, maybe not you know, over the possibility of Suell, even though maybe he hasn't looked outstanding. I just would have preferred more and more investment in that O-line. And I think that Chase is clearly very talented. Also, though, 
I don't know that any perimeter player is changing the fortune of this team. He has had massive drop issues in camp and preseason, and apparently over the last couple days, people are saying it's gotten better, but that's never something you want to hear or see. And so A.J. Green obviously was not an ideal number one last year. Maybe Chase is better than him right off the bat, but maybe he isn't. And so it's like, yeah, it's these little upgrades across the board. You're healthier again. You have these talent additions, a little bit at each position. But is that going to flip the dynamic for an offense that was miserable last year, that averaged 19.4 points per game? I just don't think so. And then defensively, you add Trey Hendrickson, which is fantastic. That's clearly your best defensive player now. They had 17 sacks as a team last year. Hendrickson had 13 and a half alone. And you add Ogunjobi, you add Shadobi Awuzie for some you know value at corner. Maybe Cameron Sample was another impact guy out of the draft from Tulane on that D-line, which I think is so pivotal because their pass rush was just non-existent last year. And so, yeah, it's just little things across the board. But I have them winning five games as well because I think that unless we see a massive leap from Burrow or this offensive line is much better than we expect or a bunch of rookies just have a huge impact, like I just think they're still going to be a pretty bad football team in the scheme of things. Everybody has talent. Everybody, it feels like, is improving unless they're actively trying not to. It's a talent-rich league, and somebody still has to lose. And when you have a tough schedule, you're going to get beat up on. And I think a big thing that you touched on is, yeah, they're talented, but a lot of things have to go right in order for this to be a really good situation for Joe. And another aspect of that is this running game. Non-existent last year. I mean, their leading rusher was who? Like Giovanni Bernard. It was, it was Joe Mixon with 420, 428 rushing yards. I know he got hurt in six games, which I guess is your saving grace here. It's not like Burrow had a rushing attack to lean on. After Joe went down, you got Giovanni Bernard with 400 yards, Samaji Perrine with 300. You need to see an establishment of the running game with a healthy Joe Mixon to really reinforce and give him some help, some play action. Uh, and then, like, the receiving weapons are there. But again, he needs time. Defensively, Carson, I think you hit on it, like, Trey Hendrickson and Larry Ogunjobi are going to help this pass rush to a moderate extent. The secondary is going to be moderately improved. It's not enough to make them a competitive team or even dominant on either side of the ball. Like, I probably expect both of these units to be bottom half of the league. It's pretty mediocre. Do you, like, is there any, so say we get a scenario in which this the pass blocking is much improved. Joe Mixon can establish the run and can open up, you know, a little bit of the West Coast play action game. What is the offensive ceiling if all things go right for the Bengals? below average like it would have to be burrow taking a massive leap to me and honestly even five wins for me feels maybe a little bit lofty here because that's the thing it's like they're improving talent wise so are the jets everybody's improving talent wise but you look at this schedule after their bye which is in week 10 they go at the raiders steelers chargers niners at the broncos ravens chiefs at the browns maybe they win one of those games that's almost half of your season right there. I mean, and you're going to Vegas, too. Like, these road games, even though they're not against the toughest teams, having to play in Denver, having to play in Vegas, dude, after their bye, they may not win a game. That's what I'm saying. And so they're probably not going 5-4 and four before the bye when you have to go at the Steelers, at the Ravens, you play the Browns, you play the Packers. So, like, I don't know if they're getting to five wins. I'm going to bet on improvement from Burrow. I think it'll be fun to see a full year of him, hopefully not an as miserable of a situation. I do think Jamar Chase is going to be something of an impact guy immediately. I don't think that the pass rush can be worse. I think that that's going to be improved, but it's no, they don't have anything close to a standout unit. They don't have anything close to a sure thing. I don't expect them to do anything at a high level, so I think they're kind of just going to be bad, and maybe I should have them winning three or four games given the schedule, but 
I think that the offensive talent is improved, and so I'll give them five. But I don't know that there's all that much else to say about the Bengals. They are, to me, pretty clearly in that bottom tier of teams. So with that, let's move on to the division that is clearly in the bottom tier of divisions, the AFC South, an area in which they have resided for many, many years, just churning out okay division winners and some terrible teams at the bottom. Who do you have at the top of this division this year? So I have the Indianapolis Colts at the top of the division, and I think clearly uh, up and down, they are the most talented roster uh, out of the crew. The issue here, and the reason I only have them winning 11 games, because like talent-wise, if you had Carson Wentz for an entire season, fully revitalized, I think this team could maybe win 12 to 13 games. That being said, I, the opening part of this schedule is really tough. Like Seahawks, Rams, Titans, Dolphins, Ravens. They don't have a bye until week 14. And the thing that accentuates this, that makes it worse uh, for the Colts to start this season, Carson Wentz probably isn't going to be there when they're taking on all of these tough teams. I will say, Adam Sheffer said yesterday that he would be surprised if Wentz Mm -hmm. didn't play week one. Wow. So it's trending very much in the right direction because initially people thought he might miss like the first five or six weeks. Yeah, I was in that committee. So maybe I might bump them up to... 12 and 5. Maybe I'll stick there at this 11 and 6 range if Wentz is healthy. I was just expecting Brent Hundley for the first five weeks and basically getting no wins. That changes things a little bit. Doesn't really change them fully um, uh, record wise. But I will say, I already said that the. The improvement that Wentz is going to have here, weapons-wise, offensive line-wise, is going to make the Colts a scary beast, especially if him and Frank Wright can get on the same page and just basically bring back MVP Carson Wentz from 2017. Just, the offensive line is much improved. Again, the Eagles were maybe the worst line ever. 65 sacks. Got Wentz killed back there like Joe Burrow in just 12 games. Up here, I mean, you were getting such an upgrade on the offensive line of the Colts. You have a staple in Quentin Nelson, a staple in Brandon, uh, in Braden Smith, and Ryan Kelly. Will Holden and Mark Lewinsky just have to be average for this Colts offensive line to be dominant. You have a running back that you don't really have to worry about in producing, and Jonathan Taylor. And weapons-wise, T.Y. Hilton, Michael Pittman Jr., Zach Paschal, probably would all be the best receiver in Philadelphia, you know, outside of Devonta Smith, who, again, didn't have Carson Wentz there with him alongside. I just think this is a better scenario for Carson Wentz across the board. He's coming back with Frank Reich. I expect massive massive things from this offense. I think, I don't think top five, top 10 is out of the realm of possibility. Again, though, that is expecting big things from Carson Wentz. The only issue wasn't just the offensive line and the weapons. Wentz mechanics and form look horrible. His confidence was shot. Obviously, all things have to go right, and Wentz has to be confident in himself and the MVP caliber quarterback that, you know, he was back in 2017. But I think he can reach those heights, and I'm expecting those things out of him in this year with Indianapolis. Do you disagree? You're giving me kind of a look. So, I was a Carson Wentz guy for a while. Even at the very beginning of last year, I was defending Carson Wentz and saying, we know what this guy is capable of when he's healthy. He can be a dynamic, dynamic player, and he's had, obviously, some unbelievable seasons. I just don't think I can write off what we saw from him last year, which was utter disaster. And you mentioned it. It was a miserable situation. But there were things that were in his control. The mechanics, the accuracy the just panic that was in his eyes. And yeah, sure, that's not helped by the fact that you have a bunch of guys bearing down on you every play. But I just feel like people are maybe expecting a bit too much of him because I don't know how seamless it's going to be for him to rebound and suddenly be you know 30 touchdowns to 10 picks again or whatever. I do think that the schedule is a factor here because I think that 
it's not the easiest. And that start is still troubling to me because even presuming that Carson Wentz is healthy, this is a new situation for him, obviously. He's coming immediately off of an injury. And you go Seahawks, Rams, at the Titans, at the Dolphins, at the Ravens. They go one and four in that stretch. I'm not surprised at all. So I have the Colts going 10 and seven. I think that that's definitely going to be lower than the mean win prediction for them because I get that their roster is crazy talented. What I don't fully understand is why we've decided they're going to be better than last year because I don't think this roster is better than last year. If you think that Carson Wentz is better than Phillip Rivers, maybe there's a case to be made there. That, to me, seems like lofty expectations given what we saw from Wentz last season. It's not that Rivers was incredible. He was a pretty average starting quarterback. But I think that average starting quarterback is an optimistic expectation for Carson Wentz at this point. So I want to ask then, I mean, why do you think this roster is worse? Like, because of the losses of, like, Nico Autry, the pass rush, Justin Houston? Like, is that it? That's a big factor because I think that last year, obviously— the defense, uh, the secondary was such a tremendous strength of this defense, and the pass rush really just got to the point where it was good enough for them to be an elite defense. But you lost two of your top three pass rushers, you just mentioned, and I like that they added Quiddy Pay with their first round pick, but those are big shoes to fill. And then I also think they had a plus 10 turnover differential last year. The secondary may be nasty, but with Carson Wentz at the helm, given what we saw last year, I don't think that you're limiting your turnovers like that again. And I don't know if you can ever expect a defense to force that kind of turnover numbers in consecutive seasons. So I think that there's still a top 10 defense. I think their run defense should be good. I think their pass rush probably going to be below average. And so I think that that puts a ceiling as far as what they can be defensively. And then offensively, I don't see a world in which they're top five. Not at all. Great line, obviously. Should be a really good run game with Jonathan Taylor. And yeah, you mentioned the receiving weapons, T.Y. and Michael Pittman and Zach Paschal. Sure, they'd be the best receiver in Philly. So would my grandma. Like, that was the worst receiving core in the league, I think almost indisputably. And I think that the Colts are a pretty mediocre receiving core too. Like, T.Y. has consistently been in that 700-800 yard range the last couple years. I think he's clearly taken a step back. So to me, you're investing in Michael Pittman being that guy who takes a leap because I don't think Zach Pascal is going to be a number one receiver in any world. So I just think they're a good football team, but I think they have a tough schedule. I mentioned the first five games. They also have to go outside of that to San Francisco, to Buffalo. They host the Bucs. They go to Arizona. They host the Pats. So I think 10 games is reasonable. I think they're really good. I still really like this defense. I think they're a pretty average offense. But the people who are talking about this and saying Super Bowl expectations, to me, that is contingent upon Carson Wentz being a completely different player than last year. Completely different. And I certainly expect him to be better because he was in the worst possible situation. But I don't think you're going to get above average starting back, starting quarterback production from him. Who is picking this team to the Super Bowl? I think there are people out there, dude. Once you get in that 12-plus wins range, I mean, you're in the conversation at the very least, and it's a very talented roster. I just don't think they're going to be better than last year. Like, they were great last year. I think we knew that they were great last year, but it feels to me like people looked at that and said, oh, now they're going to be even better. It's like now we had a season to see how good they are. And I kind of feel like it was the opposite. I kind of feel like last year they were the better team than they're going to be this season. Yeah, I... I don't know. I it's all it's all contingent on Carson Wentz. I, I think also, I think you're selling the receiving core a little short. 
like I like Paris Campbell too. I like Jack Doyle, Moali Cox. Don't get me wrong; they're not like number one, you know, go to dominant receivers, but they're good players. Um, Top five offense, though, Logan. You yeah. throw that out. Okay, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna pump the brakes on okay. that one immediately. I'll go fringe top 10. I think somewhere between that 10 to 16 range is probably a little more likely. I do expect a big year from Jonathan Taylor, though. I think he eats. Um, I just think that takes such a strain off of Wentz. But yeah, this season, their Super Bowl aspirations, their aspirations to win this division, because it's not just a gimme. There's another team in this division that could give them a run for their money. All lays on the shoulders of Carson Wentz, and We'll see how that goes. It is a pretty brutal schedule. What is So let me ask you this then. You have a lot of concerns about this team. You have them winning 10 games. I have them winning 11. What's the floor? If we get healthy Carson Wentz and he's eh, he's good, what's the floor for this team? I think the floor is pretty high. I think that the floor is probably at least eight wins because mm-hmm. like Carson Wentz would have to be unbelievably bad for them to win seven or eight games in my opinion because the rest of this roster is so good. And I do think there's a world where if Carson Wentz is as good as he was, I mean, even immediately post-ACL tear, you know, when he was just like a pretty good starting quarterback, this team could totally win 12, 13 games. I don't think that that's a ludicrous thing to expect. 13's a lot, but I think that this roster is really, really good. I just am not going to bet on Carson Wentz right now. He was atrocious last year, genuinely atrocious. 16 touchdowns to 15 picks really low completion percentage, and we've already touched on all the issues. We don't need to go more in depth with that. So to me, betting on a complete turnaround from him is just a lot to invest in, and I'm not going to be the guy to do it as much as some other people. I still think they win this division. I still think they're a playoff team, and I think that they're a really good all-around squad, but I'm going to pump the brakes just a little bit. So I think there's a pretty clear second team here as well. Some people might argue they're actually the clear first team, but a clear top two regardless who do you have finishing as runner-up here in the AFC South? Uh, I do have the Tennessee Titans, and uh, you know, I want to pump the brakes on top five offense for Indianapolis. I'll rev that gas on the top five offense for the Titans, dude. They are they're just going to be so much fun to watch. Uh, you return Ryan Tannehill. You return Derrick Henry, the best play-action duo in football, unequivocally. You bring in Julio Jones to add to this mix with A.J. Brown, two dominant number one receivers where, go ahead. Put seven dudes in the box because Tannehill's going to, boop, done. He's going to be able to throw a jump ball one-on-one to Julio and A.J. Brown. That's why they're scary. You can't put just one guy on those two dudes. They're going to be absolutely terrifying offensively. And and they had, like, Josh Reynolds, too. Like, the only concern I think I have about this offense is you lose Arthur Smith, so, you know, you're not having that consistent O.C., and he he was really an imperative factor in why this offense was so good. Uh, they take tight ends coach Todd Downing. He is the new O.C. here. But, again, when they're this talented, when you've had this, you know, this sordid history and this, you know, much consistency out of this offense, I don't expect a dramatic drop-off. I have the winning nine games, though, and there's a reason for that. It's it's this defense. I I expect this defense to straight up suck, man. I I don't really like. I like them adding in Bud Dupree. You're gonna have a little bit more of an improvement pass rush wise. Secondary sucks. Linebackers suck. They were 24th in points allowed. Like this offense is gonna be really good. This defense is gonna suck again. Um, I do think there's a higher ceiling for them if this offense just blows teams out. But we didn't see that last year. This offense put up points last year, and they were getting beaten. You know, 35 to 38, 35 to 40. Uh, I expect this defense to kind of be an Olay, Olay team. You know, Matador defense is going to allow a lot of points. The biggest question is just can this offense keep up and, I don't know, maybe be uh, maybe best in the league. I don't think it's out of the question. 
I think they're knocking on the door. And I think that they're almost a lock to be a top five unit there. You can never really say you're a lock to be that good at anything. But, like, I mean, you said it. They have such a replicable formula. Maybe a lot of people look at that and say, really replicable. Ryan Tannehill, 33 touchdowns to seven picks. Derrick Henry, 2,000 yards. Feels pretty replicable to me, man. It didn't look very hard for them last year. Like, as long as Derrick Henry is just the machine that he is, that's going to keep on rolling for them. And if Julio is healthy, which I pray he is, you're adding that to an offense that already scored 31 points per game last year. So I think they're going to be crazy there. I have them winning 10 games. And uh, what's interesting is I have them winning 10. I have the Colts winning 10. I would put the Colts at 10.4 and the Titans at 9.6. So I think that there's a gap between the two teams, the overall rosters, the two-way ability, but you got to round it to a certain win total here. I think that you're absolutely right. Defensively, they are going to suck because this secondary already struggled last year. They let up 4,400 passing yards, 36 touchdowns through the air. You lose Malcolm Butler from that. You lose Adoree Jackson, who didn't play last year, but still was going to be a starting caliber corner for you. You lose Desmond King, who's a rotational guy you invested draft capital in pretty recently. So that's not getting better. The pass rush, they had 19 sacks last year. It was the weakness of this team, and they improved there. They replaced Clowney with Bud Dupree and Danico Autry. But again, you're starting from a miserably low point, and you're getting worse on the back end. So those, to me, are the X factors. It's the pass rush. It's the secondary. If they can just be 22nd in defense, I think 10 wins is reasonable. I am a little bit scared about it, though, because I expect just pretty much ineptitude from them on that end, and it's a tough schedule. You play the entire NFC West. All four of those are games in which you might not be the favorite. You play the Bills. You play the Chiefs. You play the Dolphins. You go to the Pats. You go to the Steelers. I, When I just went through their schedule, I thought I might have them go 8-9. and nine. I just think this offense is going to be insane. Like, good grief, man. I don't know if there's a quarterback in football who has more toys to play with than Ryan Tannehill. Like, this is just disgusting, the potential there. But there's a clear ceiling. I think there's no world in which they're a Super Bowl caliber team. I think it'll be tough for them to win this division just because you have to be able to play both ends at least competently, and I don't know that the Titans can do that. Yeah, I, I agree, and I, I want to emphasize this team is not completely devoid of defensive talent. Jeffrey Simmons is one of the best defensive linemen in the NFL. He's a tremendous run stopper. Danico Autry is, like you said, Danico Autry and Bud Dupree do bring some pass rushing to this team, and yeah, they're going to be better, but it's like, you go from 19 to 30 sacks? Yeah, it's a good improvement, but it's not going to be enough to make them a dominant pass rush, and that's really what you need when you have a secondary this poor with this many question marks. Caleb Farley coming off of an injury. Is he going to have any impact his rookie season? Christian Fulton still has that big weight uh, on his shoulders to anchor this uh, secondary, and then like I like them bringing in a veteran like Janoris Jenkins, but again, it's just you don't really have any super high-impact guys outside of the front seven, so... Yeah, it's going to be a long year, but no, I couldn't have them winning eight games. I expect against teams like the Pats, like like the Dolphins, where I'm going to have them, you know, real question marks about them putting up points. I, I damn sure don't have that question in Tennessee. They're going to... Okay, let's, let's go super crazy here. Could this Titans team, like, have the best offense ever? They could be close. I'm not going to say that. Mm-hmm. But they could have the best offense in the league, and offense is pretty much at an all-time high right now, so you do with that what you will. Okay, let me ask you this. 
Would you rather have the Titans' cumulative weapons, Tannehill, Henry, Julio, A.J. Brown, and their O-line, or would you rather have the Chiefs' O-line and, like, Pat Mahomes? I would rather have the Chiefs' O-line and Pat Mahomes well, because they also have as good mm-hmm. weapons, at least as far as the passing game goes. So out of everybody, then, are those the two top offenses, in your opinion, in the league? Is there anybody in, in close contention? Totally. I think that the Bills are right up there. I think the Packers could reasonably be right up there. Those were the four best offenses in football last year. I expect them to be the four best offenses in football this year. The Ravens are right outside there, but I don't know if they have quite the same ceiling. I think they have a very high floor. But I think that at that point when the offenses are that good, you can't exactly predict who's going to be the best of the bunch. But the Titans, to me, are firmly in that tier. And we could see regression from Tannehill. I just think his job's so easy. Like, I don't really see that slippage happening. So, I'm a Titans optimist, and I think that you really identified the key difference between them, and for me, it's the Pats, because when it came down to that final wild card spot in the AFC, I had one extra win to give out when I finished mapping out my records for all these teams, and I had the Pats at 9-8, and eight, and I had the Titans at 9-8. and eight. That's initially where I had them, and it was a tough one, because I think the Titans have an inferior roster overall to the Pats. But the difference at the quarterback position and just the difference in overall offensive belief is pretty huge. And I'm going to trust the Titans to basically do, again, what they did last year. They won 11 games last year. Their defense sucked, and they still won 11 games. And so I think they can reasonably come close to that same success this year. The pass rush was atrocious. They had a pressure rate of 17.6%, second worst in all of football, literally half of your Pittsburgh Steelers. That's very problematic, clearly. But I think that slight improvements there and then slight improvements offensively will be enough for them to get to that 10-win mark. The next couple teams in this division, not so great. Not so great at all. Two of the worst in all of football. Who do you have third here, though? I know you guys are interested in hearing our takes. Like, we could just cut the pod right here. Um, the Jags in the Houston Texans. I know I'm stating the obvious here. They're going to stink. And to me, Jacksonville's offseason, I have them third in this division. Uh, I think the Texans are just going to be absolute dog water. Um, I don't understand why they did a lot of things they did in this offseason. First, we can start with the coaching decision. I don't understand Urban Meyer. I think it's a rough year. I think it's a rough transition. I think it could be a rough season. He could be out after one year. I don't know. It seems like the Jags are committed to him. I didn't understand the signing then. I, we'll see as the season goes along. I'm just confused. The biggest thing I'm confused on is the offensive system they want to run. You bring in potentially the greatest quarterback prospect ever, Trevor Lawrence. Trevor Lawrence is going to be a dog no matter what. He's going to be one of the greatest QBs of all time. I have full confidence in that. But the decisions he's made, it makes it seem like they're going to want to have a running offense this season, like a ground attack, like... They don't really go out and get a whole lot of offensive linemen. They get Walker Little. So Charlie Lawrence is going to be underdressed the entire season. James Robinson might be your only consistent weapon offensively because he did that last year. And I like the receiving weapons. Uh, Marvin Jones Jr., DJ Chark, LaVisca Chenault, Philip Dorsett. Like, these guys are going to have high targets. You don't have a receiving tight end, though. Nobody for Trevor Lawrence is a safety valve to throw out there. So I, some of these decisions just confuse me. Why you didn't invest more in the offensive line. Why you didn't go out and get a tight end that can just be reliable for Trevor Lawrence. It's so imperative for young quarterbacks to have. I, a lot of this makes me scratch my head. The Jaguars are completely untalented. I have them winning three games. I have them going three and 14. Um, 
I don't really see any conceivably conceivable way for them to have anything close to a winning record. All I hope, let's put our hands together, let's pray. Trevor Lawrence, I am praying for your safety out there in Jacksonville because I don't think you can, I don't, I'm going to knock on wood here. I don't think you can ruin Trevor Lawrence, but the Jaguars are going to try this season. I'm, I'm praying for that kid. I'm in a similar boat to you. I have them winning four games. Feels a bit generous to me. <laughs> it's really putting some faith in Trevor Lawrence because I think he is so good. I mean, already, dude, you just don't see that blend of mobility and arm strength and size and accuracy and decision-making. The guy is unbelievable. But watching him in preseason... Every single play, he is under pressure. It is actually despicable. That O-line is atrocious. The Saints were laughing their way to the quarterback every single down. And I don't care who you are. You can be number one overall pick Joe Burrow. You can be number one overall pick David Carr. It's not easy to survive in that kind of situation. So that concerns me. You know, the shiny new toy he was supposed to have with Travis Etienne, not a new toy for him, actually, but a guy who could impact the game as a receiver on the ground, unfortunately, is going to be out for the season with a foot injury. You had Marvin Jones. That's good. He's a really good, reliable number two receiver. He's not changing anything. Philip Dorsett, okay. You also lose D.D. Westbrook and Keelan Cole, so Dorsett's not better than either of those guys. So you don't have good weapons except for Robinson, as you mentioned, who is good in the receiving game as well, but not going to be a downfield threat or anything, obviously. So the offense is going to suck. I agree with you. I don't like Urban Meyer. And defensively, they let up 31 points per game last year. And I do think that they are improved in the secondary. They invested a good bit in Rayshon Jenkins and Shaq Griffin. And I think that those will be among their best defensive players immediately. But I don't really care. Like, you're still going to be a really bad defense. And so what are we supposed to expect of Trevor Lawrence here? Like, unless he is... Justin Herbert last year, which, you know, he could be. I mean, there's similarity skill set-wise, and he's a special quarterback, but Justin Herbert wasn't under this kind of duress. Like, unless he has that kind of production, not just talent, but production, which is going to be tougher in his situation, I don't even know how they win more than four games. Like, I think he has to be an incredible quarterback, like offensive rookie of the year level for them to win four games, and I'll bet on him being really good. But this team sucks. There's a reason they want, They lost 15 straight games last year. They were one of the worst teams we've seen in recent memory. They're devoid of talent, and they didn't get all that much better in that respect this year. Yeah, and I wouldn't even just ask, like, what can we expect out of Trevor Lawrence and how can he elevate this team? Where can we expect any improvement at all of this roster? And I'd say there's one spot. Um, the new DC here is Joe Cullen, the old defensive line coach for the Ravens. He runs a 3-4. And, you know, we obviously know about all the success that he's had uh, with Baltimore and their linebackers. But you've got two really talented ones here in Josh Allen and Kayla Von Chason. And, you know, I think if there's anything that you can look for in major improvement-wise out of this roster, um, it would have to be that or just, you know, the simple upgrade from Gardner Minshew to Trevor Lawrence. Um, but with the pass rush, I mean, at 18 sacks last season, you can't really conceivably get any worse and honestly, those are the two big spots, and the reason that I have them winning <laughs> four, you know, what three games? Like their pass rush needs to be better. If they're up near thirty sacks, and Trevor Lawrence is a moderate improvement, that's the only way I see it happening. If we don't see any improvement in those two categories, <laughs> I'd be surprised if they won one. Yeah, they're terrible. This is a lot riding on Trevor. This is an investment in Trevor for me, even having them at four wins. 
it's a terrible roster and it's not a significantly improved roster from a team that won one game last year and I don't think they're well coached. So all around, not good for the Jags, but still perhaps better than what the Houston Texans have. We both have them at the bottom of the division here, Logan. What are we going to see from Houston? Absolutely nothing. Um, Bill O'Brien really did a number on this team. This roster is horribly constructed. There is no talent here like Laramie Tunsil, Brandon Cooks, and Philip Lindsay are the best players on this roster. And uh, <laughs> Carson, we're reshooting this now. Uh, you know, go peek behind the door here um, at Nerd Sesh. Uh, we're reshooting this last segment with the Texans. The mic got unplugged, but we said they won four games with one of the top five quarterbacks in the NFL last season and Deshaun Watson. Now they're going to have Davis Webb or Tyrod Taylor starting. Good luck, Houston. I mean, this, this roster is horribly constructed. There's no bright spots here. The O-line is anchored by two pretty good tackles. There's no talent defensively. I mean, I just, I really don't know what else to say other than this is a completely, this is a roster completely devoid of talent, of good coaching, of, of really anything to look forward to. <laughs> Carson, are there any positives to look forward to in Houston? I do have to make one correction. It's Davis Mills, all right? And that's an important one, Logan. Did I say Davis Webb? I said Davis Webb. Oh, and the reason that's important is Davis Mills is a Stanford guy and Davis Webb is a Cal guy. So, I mean, if you're familiar with Northern California collegiate rivalries, and I'm sure most of you are, that's a cardinal sin to make there. Cardinal. Good one, good one. Thank you, man. <laughs> is there anything to look forward to? Excellent question, Logan. No, there is not. I mean, realistically, it's going to be Tyrod starting. And I think that I'm on the record with my opinions about Tyrod Taylor. Not a fan. Not a fan whatsoever, especially not with a roster like this where you need a guy who can elevate the miserable talent around him. When Deshaun Watson goes out there and is scrambling outside of the pocket and making unbelievable throws for 16 games and gives you 33 touchdowns to seven picks and you give him four wins, I think that that's telling you about what you can expect from a guy like Tyrod Taylor who is the ultimate don't-mess-it-up game manager kind of player. It's going to be really brutal. The weapons are not impressive. Shout out Brandon Cooks, but Anthony Miller, Kiki Kati, outside of that, just nobody with that kind of game-changing dynamism. Defensively, your big additions are Shaq Lawson and Christian Kirksey, pretty average defensive starters. You only had five draft picks, as you mentioned, because of the master stroke of, of Bill. You had no first-rounders. I just think you look up and down and say, this could be the worst team in a long time. I have them winning two games. I don't know how often I'll pick a team to win two games in my life, but it feels perfectly reasonable for them because they're not going to have Deshaun Watson. We don't know exactly what is going to happen with him. We don't know if he's going to play football. It seems remarkably to be trending that way after, obviously, all of the chaos that ensued after he was first hit with a bunch of sexual assault allegations and it seemed like he was going to go to civil court for a while. Now we don't know what's going to happen. There's talk of him being traded like now. The Dolphins have emerged as a front runner. Whatever the case, it doesn't seem like he's going to play for the Houston Texans because he very clearly does not want to play for the Houston Texans. And so whether he's in the NFL or not, it's probably not going to be with this team. And without him, they are just a miserable, miserable roster and a miserable team. And I feel very sorry for David Cooley, who at 65 years old is getting his first NFL head coaching job, what he's worked his life for, been in the league for 30-something years, done his time, 
he's set up for failure. This might as well be a hit job. Like, you cannot possibly look good here. In fact, you might look so bad that whatever previous job you're getting as a receivers or a tight ends coordinator, that's not even on the board anymore because you're associated with this disaster. Well, Hugh Jackson ended up getting rehired, so maybe there's there's a chance for David Cully. This feels worse to me than anything. I do think you're right, though. I mean, he seems like the fall guy. Like, they just hired somebody to take the fall after this year. He's 65. Also... Hugh did not last long in the NFL. It is worth pointing out. Hey, so you point. Is he on a staff anywhere? I believe he got rehired. The Bengals? Is yeah. That, okay. I believe so. Hugh, Hugh's with somebody. Not, not in a major role, obviously. But he's on a roster. Yeah, I got this team winning one game. That might be a stretch. Um, he's at Tennessee State, bruh. Never mind. Oh, my God. David, get out while you have the chance, man. These things don't end well. No, no, they do not. And, and this certainly won't. Um, do you think they, is there a chance they just don't win a game? Yes, there's a very real chance. I just said, I feel like this could be worse than the 0-16 Browns. Because at least they were competitive sometimes out there. Now, I don't think it's likely because mm-hmm. you get the Jags twice. They'll probably win one of those games. You get the Jets. That's kind of winnable. But two wins for them? <laughs> Feels like a good spot to have him. One win, I would say, also feels reasonable. Zero wins. If you go for it, I like the boldness, and you may not be wrong. This team is that bad. Well, we uh, we both have the Texans, what, at the bottom of the league, right? Correct. So uh, to wrap up, we'll give a recap of our uh, top teams of the league here in the AFC. Um, at the top of mine, I originally, I believe and I said in a previous podcast that the Bills were my top team in the AFC. I'm incorrect on that. I have the Chiefs winning that head-to-head matchup. So my number one seed, the Chiefs at 14-3. and three. My number two seed, the Bills at 14-3. and three. My three seed, the Pittsburgh Steelers at 12-5. and five. My four seed, the Colts at 11-6. and six. My five seed, the Ravens at 12-5. and five. Uh, My six seed, I believe I have the Tennessee Titans at 9-8. and eight. And eking in at the seven seed, I have the New England Patriots also at 9-8. and eight. And I have the Browns barely missing out after my adjustments at eight and nine so i have the chiefs at the top here 13 and four bills right behind them 13 and four ravens 12 and five colts in the four seed at 10 and seven winning their division then i have the browns at 11 and six i have the steelers at 10 and seven and then i have the titans in that last spot also at 10 and seven i touched on earlier the patriots you have in the seventh spot that to me was easily the main competition and that was a tough one. I had the Chargers at 9-8 and eight too, but I just think the Patriots have a higher ceiling because it's a more talented roster to me. Just major questions about the quarterback position and the overall offensive dynamism, and I don't have those questions about the Titans, so I lean on a team like that in the tiebreaker. NFC, obviously, we already recapped this when we finished the conference, but since we are now done going through every team here and all we have left is our playoff and awards picks, might as well go through the NFC as well. Who do you have there? So I have the Rams at the top of my NFC, or no, excuse me, uh, I'm incorrect in saying that. I have the Packers at the top of my NFC. They go undefeated in their division. Same record, 12 and five. The Rams in my two seed at 12 and five. Bucks at 12 and five in the three spot. Then the football team with 11 wins in my four spot. The Niners with 11 wins, followed by the Seahawks and Cowboys in my last two spots. And the two teams that are close, Cardinals and Saints, were both pretty close cuts for me. So again, pretty similar. I have the Bucks as my top seed. I have the Rams second, Packers third, Cowboys fourth. I only have them going nine and eight, but winning their division. Then I have the Niners fifth at 11 and six, the Seahawks sixth at 10 and seven, and the Cardinals in the seventh spot at nine and eight. Four teams from the NFC West. Is that likely? I don't know. But you know what? We already talked about all that. 
when we previewed the NFC West and the NFC East. So if you're fiending for that, just go ahead, look back in the archives. We've got you covered. And in fact, we've always got you covered here on Nerd Sesh. We're doing shows all the time, bang, bang, bang. And you know where to find them, YouTube. We live stream our shows. Not today, unfortunately. Couldn't get into our home studio. Peyton T. Gallagher was watching college football. And so we did it here in our actual home studio at our apartment. So we weren't able to live stream, but obviously we'll still have the full video up for you guys. You can also catch us just in audio form, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you get your stuff there. You can follow us on social media. Twitter is at nerd underscore sesh. Instagram, TikTok are at nerd sesh. You can also stick around on our YouTube channel and see the video essays, video breakdowns that we do here on the NBA and NFL. Logan's most recently was on the Steelers preseason. I did one last week on the two most important rookies in the NBA, that being, in my opinion, Jonathan Kaminga and Moses Moody, what to expect from them. I recommend all of it. I think it's good to- good content. I think it's a banging time. So go ahead and enjoy all of that. But for now, as always, I've been Carson Brabber. I've been Logan Camden. And this was Nerd Sound. If a new house is on your wish list in the next five years, grow your savings faster and experience your dreams with an Ohio Homebuyer Plus account from Kemba Financial Credit Union, a savings account specifically designed to save for a new home where you can earn 7% APY, a $500 matching bonus, and a $1,500 mortgage closing cost credit. Learn more at Kemba.org. Offer expires March 31st, 2025. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. NMLS 292230. Equal housing lender. Federally insured by NCUA. This is it. We've got an Amex Platinum Pro on our hands, ladies and gentlemen. We haven't seen anyone relax like this before in the Centurion Lounge. Is he connecting to complimentary Wi-Fi? Oh, my. Look at that. He is. And you will not believe where he's going next. The Amex dedicated card member entrance for the win. Unbelievable. When you get travel perks with Amex Platinum, you're part of the action. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Hey, guys, you know what this playground could use? A wine country, huh? A redwood forest would be cool. Ski slopes! Wait! Did we just invent California? Discover why California is the ultimate playground at visitcalifornia.com.